the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Okay, um, good evening everyone. Uh, so today, even though we've read through the whole passage, we'll be just looking at this last section, verses 14 to 21. Um, However, before we look at the passage, I'd like to ask each of us to think of someone who's been influential in your Christian journey. This might be the first person to bring you to faith, but they might be someone you met along the way. Once you've thought of someone, then ask yourself, how have they influenced you? Are there any things about their life which you can see um, in your life now? It might be how you spend your money, it might be um, how you spend your time, it might be the way you speak to other people, or it might be some ideas that you have, um, maybe core ideas that they hold that you now also have. For me, the person that came to my mind is my old youth pastor, a man named Peter Nevins. I think that through him I got a balanced view of God's mercy and his justice, which has led me to appreciate his love more. So in the passage we're looking at tonight, we'll see three different ways that Paul is a good spiritual father to the Corinthians. As we go through each of these three examples, we'll then see how uh, Paul's fatherly love reflects God's fatherly love for all of us. So to say where we're going at the outset, the three things are that Paul corrects the Corinthians in love, he models Christ to the Corinthians, (coughs) and Paul is also willing to discipline them but he's patient and wants them to change without him having to do that. So the first way that Paul is a good spiritual father to the Corinthians is that he corrects them in love. Looking at verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Paul uses the father metaphor because he was the one who first preached the gospel to the Corinthians. Like a biological father brings life, Paul, by preaching the gospel to the Corinthians, brought brought them to life in Christ. So Paul then contrasts himself with the other teachers who he calls guardians. These would have been in the ancient world similar to a babysitter, a resident slave who would be responsible for looking after the children and keeping them out of trouble. Paul uses this metaphor of father and children to reassure the, um, to to highlight actually his authority over the Corinthians and then also to, to remind them of the deep relational connection he has with them. So it's similar to previous metaphors Paul has used in Corinthians. Um, such as the one who plants and the one who waters, and also the one who builds a foundation and the one who builds on top of the foundation. However, it's slightly different as the purpose of each of these metaphors is slightly different. So when Paul earlier discussed the one who plants and the one who waters, Paul is emphasising that each worker has a different role to play in God's work. When Paul is discussing the one who lays the foundation and the one who builds on top of this foundation, Paul is emphasising that everything that is taught needs to align with that foundation of Christ. But now, as in the previous verses Paul has been highlighting the Corinthian sin, he uses this 
this metaphor of the father and the, and the children to reassure them of his love. In context that this, in verse 14, is what Paul has just been writing in particular, verses 8 to 13. In these verses, Paul has been using a sarcastic and ironic tone to highlight the pride of the Corinthians. This is in contrast to his and Apollos' humility. The Corinthians' pride led them to believe that, as Paul puts it, they already had all that they wanted, and they already had become rich. Their pride meant that they believed they had surpassed the apostles. As Paul puts it in verse 8, they thought that they had already begun to reign, and that without Paul or Apollos. Paul's sarcasm is intended to get them to see the foolishness of their pride, and he's contrasting it with reality. He does this in particular when he says, how I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that you might, we might also reign with you. Because the Corinthians' pride is leading them to believe that they had already begun to reign, even though they aren't, Paul needs to correct them here. They aren't reigning with Christ yet, all they are is puffed up, as he puts it in verse 6. So because of Paul's love for the Corinthians, he has to correct them. But he doesn't go too far. He doesn't seek to shame or to humiliate the Corinthians. Paul is in a relationship with the church where they can trust him as their spiritual father. Because of this, now in, 14, in verse 14, Paul changes his tone and he's reassuring them of his care. What he has just said isn't because he wants them to feel ashamed, although he recognises that they may feel shame. He's been saying this to warn them as they are tearing themselves apart and destroying themselves and not following Jesus. And just like biological fathers can go to one of two extremes, either humiliating their children to get what they want or neglecting the need to correct wrong behaviour, spiritual fathers can also do this. But on the one hand, there's no place in loving relationships for using shame as a tool to get what we want. And on the other hand, in loving relationships, we can't stand idly by when people are damaging themselves through their sin. Paul, as a good spiritual father, sits in the middle of these two extremes. He corrects the Corinthians as his dear children, but he doesn't seek to shame them. So Paul here can show us what kind of father God is like. Often God needs to correct us because we are going to damage ourselves through our sin. When we recognise areas of our life that have been sinful and need repenting of, we may feel shame about this as well. Shame is an emotion that God has given us, but it's not something which by itself is good. It's there to help us to reform our lives. God doesn't want us to stay in a feeling of shame, but to come into his grace and into his freedom from the shame that comes with sin. Remaining in shame leads to despair, but God wants us to change and have hope in him. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. God leads us not into death, but into life, salvation and freedom. So the first way that Paul is a good spiritual father is by correcting the Corinthians in love. The second way is that he models Christ to them. Look now at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, 
which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. In context, again, the way of life that Paul is urging the Corinthians to imitate is set out in the previous section, verses 9 to 13. This is Paul's way of life in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul is associating himself with Christ as the suffering saviour. In contrast to the Corinthians' pride, Paul is foolish, weak, dishonoured, hungry, thirsty, dressed in rags, brutally treated, homeless. He works hard with his own hands. Even though he is cursed, he blesses. When he is persecuted, he endures it. He is slandered, but he answers kindly. He ends by calling himself the scum of the earth. And in this, Paul himself is imitating Christ's sufferings, of whom it was said in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. A good spiritual father, therefore, lives in Christ's way of life and provides an example of him to us. However, imitating someone not physically present is difficult, and this would be a common problem for Paul, who often had to move on from the city he was in. Otherwise, he would come into conflict with the local authorities. Paul addresses this challenge by now sending Timothy. Timothy tra- uh, travelled with Paul and was often with him when he proclaimed the gospel, and he was with him when he proclaimed the gospel to the Corinthians. Timothy was especially loved by Paul, and Paul therefore sends him as an approved example of his way of life in Christ. Timothy won't only be an example though, he will also teach what agrees with what Paul teaches everywhere in every church. And I think this gives us a couple pointers about the way a good spiritual father is an example to us. So firstly, a good spiritual father will live a life ordered around Jesus' example. It will be their imitation of Christ which sets them apart as an approved example. The reason that Paul was a good example to follow was because he himself was following Jesus' way of life. And this way of life is distinctive in its willingness to sacrificially give to others for their good. It's about having the humility to look to the interests of others and not only to our own rights. Secondly, a good spiritual father will not only provide an example, but also teach the ways of Christ. As Paul puts it, Timothy will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. This includes not only practical things about what to do to follow Jesus' way, but also includes teaching truths from the Bible. It's this combination of doctrine and practice which is important here, and if one is lacking, inevitably problems will arise. Without providing the example of Christian practice, we'll all too often begin to imitate the world and not Christ. However, without also teaching the background beliefs, which provide the justification for this practice. Our beliefs will begin to follow the currents of fashion and not be grounded on the teachings of Jesus. So Paul provides, um, Paul is a good spiritual father to to the Corinthians here by providing an example to them of Christ and by providing Timothy to remind them of what he's been teaching them. And from this, we can see how God is a good father to us. Firstly, God has given Jesus himself and his life as the standard from which all others are just an example. 
In fact, we could say that as we've all come to life through Christ and our faith in Christ, Jesus himself is the spiritual father of all of us. It's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection which provide the model which all other teachers imitate to a greater or lesser degree. But secondly, God has also provided his truth in the Bible so that we can be taught his ways and know what is right and what isn't. The Bible contains Jesus' own teachings and what God is doing in the world through Jesus. So to summarise how God is a loving Father here, firstly, through Jesus, we've been given an example to follow. And secondly, God is a good Father because God teaches us his truth through the Bible. So to recap, so far, Paul is firstly a good spiritual father by correcting the Corinthians in love. Secondly, he models Christ to them. We now come to the third way that Paul is a good spiritual father to the Corinthians. It's that if necessary, he will discipline the Corinthians. But firstly, he is patient with them and desires that they change without him having to do that. The reason that Paul might need to come with a rod of discipline, as he puts it in verse 21, is because of the arrogance of some of the Corinthians. In verses 18 and 19, Paul says, Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. It would be because of the pride and arrogance of the Corinthians that they would need to be disciplined. If they were humble, then words alone would be enough for them to change. It's this pride which has been Paul's fundamental concern with the Corinthian church. These arrogant Corinthians thought that they could act however they liked and that Paul would never come to hold them to account. Continuing with the father and child metaphor, it's kind of like children when the parents aren't around If one is particularly arrogant, they might start to cause some division amongst the group. But Paul reminds them that he does intend to come, and that when he comes, there won't be a war of words. Paul isn't going to come to continue to dispute with them about their so-called wisdom. Unlike the other teachers who seek to impress the church with their rhetorical ability, Paul is going to investigate their power. But what does Paul mean when he says power here? Paul goes on in verse 20 to say, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So far in 1 Corinthians, Paul's references to power have been focused on the cross and the preaching of the cross. I've put some uh, of these verses on the screen. So chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. 1 verse 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And chapter 2 verse 4 and 5, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul has been saying that it's the foolish message of the cross, not crafted speeches, that saves people. What Paul is going to investigate is what he's already been talking about. Are these people living cross-shaped lives, or are they full of empty talk like the world around them? 
So continuing with this section, Paul now threatens to discipline the proud Corinthians, but he leaves the choice to them. In verse 21, he says, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? The purpose of this whole section has been to get the the Corinthians to repent of their divisions and their pride. He now questions them, will you respond? He wants to come to them in love and gentleness, but if necessary, he will come and discipline them. If they continued in their pride and Paul came in a loving and gentle spirit, then they wouldn't change their ways. And this is because pride blinds us. It makes us see ourselves as God. It places ourselves at the center of the universe and makes everything else have meaning relative to us. It stops us from being able to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yet, even if Paul does come with a rod of discipline, even this is still loving. Proverbs 13 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So what does this tell us about God and the way he is a father to us? So firstly, I think it shows how God is also good to us by desiring that we change without discipline. God often gives us the choice to change our lives. God is patient with us. As Peter writes to other Christians, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to everyone to come to repentance. However, if we don't change, he will discipline us in love. But this will always be for our good. As it says in Hebrews, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Like Paul, God is longing for us to repent and turn from our pride and our sin and to turn to him. He is longing to pour out his love on us as his dear children. However, God encourages us here that we can know that if we do have to go through some discipline, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. So to recap these three ways that Paul shows that uh, what a good spiritual father is like, he corrects the Corinthians in love, he models Christ to them, and he desires them to change. He desires them to change themselves and is patient with them, but if necessary, he'll discipline them. So to conclude, I think there are kind of two areas of application that we can think about for ourselves. So firstly, who are your spiritual parents? You might want to think back to the name you thought of at the start of this. Um, Who are the people who are influencing you and who you have looked to uh, as a model of Christ? What is the content of their teaching and is it in line with the teachings of Jesus and his apostles? But of course, it's not only their teaching as we've seen, it's also the content of their life. It's important to remember here that no one will perfectly imitate Jesus. But to the degree that these people do imitate Jesus, we should follow them and we should let them influence us. But perhaps for you, it's less relevant who your spiritual parents are and maybe more relevant who you are spiritual parents to. This might be in the context of a mentoring relationship or in a small group of Christians that you're in or even just a close friendship you have with another Christian.
Do you model Jesus to them? And when they look at your life, would they be able to see Jesus' distinctives? So secondly, do you think about God as a father in the way that we've looked at him tonight? So God corrects us when we are wrong, but he always does this in love. Perhaps you already know this, but you might feel like God is maybe waiting for you to slip up. Be encouraged that God, like Paul, doesn't seek to shame you. God may warn you as his dear child, but he doesn't desire to humiliate you. It's out of love that God corrects us and shows us where we need to change. God also shows us his way of life in Jesus. Maybe you feel like God has left you without guidance for your life. God hasn't left us without an example, but has given us the life and teaching of Jesus in the Bible to direct us in his way of life. This life is now continued in the church, the body of Christ, which is bound together not by ligaments and tendons, but by the love of God. It's therefore not only in the Bible, but also by staying engaged with God's people and being part of his community that we can discern how God wants us to be guided. And lastly, God is patient with us and desires us to change ourselves without discipline. Of course, God (coughs) will always be there to help us to change. It's by his power that we change, and we won't have the strength to do it ourselves. But God also gives us many opportunities to change ourselves. If we can't respond to these, then for our own good, God will discipline us. Maybe at times you felt in the past or even now that God is punishing you for some sin. And that the, if that's the case, then remember that God doesn't punish us for our sins. That was dealt with on the cross. Instead, God is merciful to us and he disciplines us so that we can experience the harvest of righteousness and peace. And step into the life that God has created us to live. So to close, let's pray now to our loving Heavenly Father and ask for a deeper understanding of his character and of his love and for his help to imitate Christ and live in his way. Father, thank you for Paul's example to the Corinthian church and for the ways that he provides us with an example of your love. Thank you that you are patient with us and desire to bring us into repentance with gentleness. Thank you for the harvest of righteousness and peace that we can find in you. For all of us here today, help us to know you better and to have a greater awareness of your love for us. Please can this lead us into a deeper desire to follow Jesus in his way of life. And please help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.